Well, good morning, Getwell. It is great to be with you guys today. As we conclude our series on heaven, what can we expect in the life to come? It's been a great series. Uh, just to recap a little bit, in week one, uh, Jonathan gave us an overview on, of our life, uh, on our time on earth, and what we will call eternity. And he said that as a topic, this is a topic that the church in recent years has really not talked much about, and that in of itself, it has an effect of the way that we approach both life and death. In week two, Hunter dived into what happens when we die, giving us a view of not only an intermediate heaven and an intermediate hell, but a final new heaven, new earth, and then lake of fire. Last week, Jonathan painted a wonderful picture of the things that we will actually be doing in that intermediate heaven and then ultimately on the new heaven and the new earth. And if you've not watched those messages, I would encourage you to go back online and uh, watch them. They're fantastic. And so today, we're going to wrap up this series with what we would call the end. It is the end of all ends. And if there is one word that I would love you to leave here with today, it is this word, and it is hope. Hope. The end of Scripture, the end of the Bible for the Christian is our great hope. And as we begin this journey that we're going to take today, toward the end, I'm going to ask you two questions that I want you just to let marinate in your mind, so to speak, for a little bit. Uh, where do you find your meaning in life? Where do you find your meaning in life and what keeps you going? Where do you find your meaning in life and what keeps you going? Now hold on to those questions and we're going to come back to those uh, later. But I found this uh, story prior to COVID. There were a group of artists and musicians in the UK who asked thousands of people one question. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to create a live stage show based on those questions. And the question was, what is your happiest memory? Now, as you can imagine, they got many answers. There were a lot of first dates, first dances, first loved, first houses, memories of weddings, memories of births, lots of births apparently. And there were memories of some fantastic holidays, memories of precious faces of family and faces of loved ones that are now gone. And as they collected these memories of happiness, these creators of this show noticed three things. The first that they noticed was less than 1% of all the people polled their happy memories had anything to do with material things, less than 1%. Secondly, that these memories were nearly always about a relationship of one kind of another, family, friends, and loved ones. 
They discovered the third thing, that when they fed all of these happy memories into a computer database and they looked for recurring words and phrases, one word came up most of all, and that word was home. Home. So they put this show together, and it toured all around the UK. And when it was over, the director was interviewed afterwards, and he described his performances. He said they were extraordinary, but he said they were actually like a cross between a wedding and a wake. It was a celebration, but it was mixed with sadness Sadness because there was a lot of nostalgia in those happy memories. The happiness was gone. It had faded into nostalgia. But what was left was this longing for relationship, this longing for home. So do we have these desires? You bet we do. Could it be that we are made for another world in which these longings and these desires are fully and finally satisfied? And the answer is yes. So we're going to go today into Revelation. Let's go to catch a glimpse of the world that we are actually made for. We're going to start in Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth... For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, this, this picture here is our ultimate home. It is a new heaven. It is a new earth. There's no more tears, no more death, no more crying, no more pain. The former things, the things we're living in right now are passed away. Church, this is what we should be longing for. This is our great hope. This is the hope that was recorded all the way back in the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. Let's take a review of this, okay? The orderly account of creation gives us a hint as God's whole purposes for it. He wants his people to be image bearers, to fill this place called earth, to fill the land. Once he creates Adam and Eve, he makes purpose explicit to them. He gives them four tasks. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Related to this command, he tells them to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. And in chapter 2, he gives them two further commands, to work and keep the garden and to obey his law. Already then, before the fall, God has a goal for his creation to be filled with, ruled by, 
and cultivated by his obedient image bearers. That's us. But we know the story. Things unraveled rather quickly. And instead of obeying, Adam and Eve rebelled. They ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And instead of ruling, Adam and Eve allowed Satan to influence them as he spoke words that were contrary to God's words. And as a result, these two tasks of multiplying and cultivating are totally affected by sin. Here's some of the, the, the things, the fallout. Women will now have pain in childbearing. They will be at odds with their husbands. Adam, on the other hand, is told what? He, along with his descendants, will be able to draw thorns and thistles from the ground. Not those beautiful green plants and trees that God had placed for them to have everything they needed to eat. The ground is cursed because of their sin. Death enters the world. Adam and Eve have to be removed from God's presence. So in other words, Adam and Eve's sin, their rebellion against God's word, their failure to complete the task that God had given them in the beginning affects creation itself. We're told creation groans for something better than what we're living in now. See, human beings were affected the most. It affects our relationships. Our relationships to each other, our relationships in our marriage, and it affects our ability to fulfill those tasks of multiplying and cultivating and ultimately our relationship to God. Sin affects everything. But see, God doesn't leave Adam and Eve without hope. He comes to them despite their desire to hide from him, right? And he clothes them with animal skins, casting them out before he casts them out. But here's the thing. We see this hint of sacrifice. He prevents them from living forever in their sin by exiling them from the place where they could eat the tree of life. They can't have that anymore. They forfeited that. But then he gives this prophecy, promises through the seed of the woman, he's going to crush Satan's head and defeat sin and restore everything back to how it was before the fall. See, God's promise to do this restoration is what drives the rest of the whole Bible. Everything. Why? Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? To defeat our sin, reverse the curse, give us hope. And the end, listen to this, the end is him coming back for us and ultimately defeating Satan, making all things new and giving us the home that we had at the very beginning. And make no mistake about it, church, he is coming back. You see, the church in Thessalonica was worried about this. Uh, Paul had to write a couple of letters, as you know, to the Thessalonians, and uh, they were worried. They were worried. Have we missed his coming? 
And so Paul addresses this. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians at this verse in 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. This term asleep means they have died in Christ. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You hear that? Others that are not in Christ have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, in this journey we're going on today, we have to talk about this. There are two schools of thought on this verse, and it takes you in two different directions, two camps, if you will. One group of theologians that reads this verse one way is called amillennialist. Now, amillennialism understands that the kingdom of God proclaimed by Jesus and his apostles are just synonymous with the millennial kingdom that we're going to read about here in Revelation 20. They believe that the kingdom of God is present day, today, with Christ ruling in heaven, and it is populated, this kingdom is populated by all who have given their life to him. That is an amillennial view. They view scripture as allegory. It's a story with a spiritual meaning. Now, most Amils, if you talk to them, will believe that all of Revelation has already been completed except starting in chapter 19 forward. That's all that's left. They believe these Thessalonican verses are the actual resurrection at the end when Jesus returns, at the very end. Okay? That's one group. The other group that we have is called premillennialist. This group believes in a literal reading of Scripture, and it follows a pattern that the church is going to be taken away or raptured before this time of trouble called the tribulation. Now, this word rapture comes from the Latin Vulgate Bible, and it's rapturo, but it's based on this word in, in Thessalonians where it says to be caught up. The Greek word is harpazo, and that Greek meaning literally means to be snatched away. See, this group, premillennialists, take these Thessalonian verses as rapture verses because they believe that the church will escape before the tribulation. Now, we have to pair with Revelation Daniel and his prophecies to get what is known as this literal seven-year tribulation period, and it is a period of disaster upon disaster on the earth. 
The earth during these years, these seven years, will be ruled by an antichrist and what's known as a false prophet. And you will have to make a decision if you are on the earth during that time. You're either going to pledge your support to them or, and take a mark in order to keep living, or you're going to have to give up your life. There's no option. Scripture's pretty clear on that. But for a premillennialist, they don't worry about it. Paul said, be encouraged. They're not here. The church is gone. It's raptured. It's caught up. It is safe in the intermediate heaven with Jesus during these seven years of tribulation. Let's look at some, some other areas. Let's see how uh, Matthew describes this time as soon as the tribulation is over. Let's look in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 24, beginning in verse 29. Matthew says, immediately after this tribulation, after these seven years of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, that's Jesus, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other." You see, I want you to notice in verse 30 there is, it says, all the tribes, not a few, not some, it says all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see Jesus coming. Well, what about the church if we're still here? I don't think any of us are going to be mourning when Jesus is coming. It tells us in 31, he's going to send out his angels with a trumpet call, and the angels are going to gather his elect, which is the church, from one wind, from, from the four winds of where? From heaven, from four winds of heaven to another. Jesus then comes back, establishes a literal kingdom on this earth. And we know, as we're going to read further, it's for 1,000 years. And in that 1,000 years, when he comes back, Satan is bound. Let's look at Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding his hand in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for how long? A thousand years. And they threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended." Notice the names that Satan is given in this verse. He's the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, Satan. These are all terms that you see throughout the New Testament and even the Old Testament. And, and it's talking about a literal time period here. So we have the church back with Christ now because we've been brought back. The angels are gathering us from one end of heaven to the other. We come back with Jesus. It's a thousand years. And we're going to see in these next verses, we're, there are going to be people 
during the tribulation that gave up their life for Christ. These are called tribulation martyrs. They're called tribulation saints. And they're going to be resurrected with Christ to live in this thousand years with Christ in the church. Let's look at this next verse, Revelation 24. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. And I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. We have Jesus, the church, and these martyrs from the tribulation for 1,000 years reigning on earth while Satan's chained up. Now, make no mistake about this. The tribulation, those that are in it, are going to be faced with a choice. You worship the beast, the Antichrist, take his mark, or you're going to be killed. Those left here on the earth during that time have two options. You're going to either give your life up for Jesus, or you're going to take the mark and you're doomed for eternity. After this thousand-year period is ended, Satan is released. Think about this. The earth now is repopulating, because there were people on the earth is repopulating for a thousand years. He's released. He brings war against Jesus. He's defeated, and then he's thrown in the lake of fire. Let's read Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them for battle and their number is like the sand of the sea and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. The beloved city is Jerusalem. But the fire came down from heaven and consumed them and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been thrown in there and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Evil is finally defeated. And next, we have judgment. Let's go, we're going to go through some verses pretty quickly here. Let's look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Now, pay attention. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what's written in those books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Church, if you are Christian, your name is already in the book of life. 
And so therefore, death and Hades have to be brought back and judged. How are they going to be judged? For what they've done. They're not covered by Jesus. Their eternal destination is like a fire with Satan and all the others. See, it's this point, we, are, we come to this point in our life is we get to choose where we're going to be. And it's at this point, now Jesus is going to say, okay, I'm fixing to recreate this thing. I'm going to make it new. I'm going to make it whole again. Why? The earth is broken. The earth is groaning because of its fallen state. It has to be purged. Usually, how do you purge something? It's fire. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter 3.10. He says here, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We don't know how this is going to look. We don't know how Jesus is going to do this, but he will purge the decay of this earth to make new creations, a new creation. And here's the deal. We get to watch this. Everybody think about how much time we spend debating Genesis and and all the creation and everything. Guess what? We're going to get to see it. We're going to get to see a, a new creation formed before our eyes. We also see in this new creation, there's going to be a new Jerusalem, a new city. Let's look at Revelation 21, starting in verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like most or rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed on it. On the east three gates, the north three gates, the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you've got Israel represented And the church, the apostles, in some beautiful new city that Jesus is making, that Jerusalem's going to be our capital. It's going to be capital of the earth. See, the holy city also represents something for all of us, all of God's people. Because it's, it talks about that it is a bride perfectly prepared for her husband And after centuries of tragic happenings on the earth, in Jerusalem, think through all the history they've been been through, she's made clean, she's made beautiful and drawn into the arms of Jesus, the bridegroom. Here's more description of the city in chapter 21. I saw no temple in the city. There's no need for it. There's no need for sacrifices anymore. Jesus is with us. For its temple is the Lord, the God Almighty, and the Lamb. The city, ha- the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, 
Will the nations walk? I want you to hear this. Do you know that Greek word for nations is ethnos? It means ethnicity. Every color, tribe, tongue is going to be here. We're gonna, it's just going to be a wonderful representative of creation that God has, is recreating for us. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory, the honor of the ethnicities. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of the life. It's going to be amazing. And we don't have any concept. Our mind cannot conceptualize what this is going to look like other than the descriptions that we're given here. Let's, let's look more. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Where is it? Through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, the healing of the ethnicities of the world. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What an amazing image of what we get to look forward to. A city, tree of life, 12 kinds of fruit yielding uh, fruit each month for the healing of everybody. When I hear that healing of the ethnicities, I just think the turmoil that we're in in the world today against each other. And that'll be no more. See, this is our hope, church. This is our great hope. This should be what keeps you going. This should be the, because it's the ending. Those of you that know me love that I know that I love to keep up with current culture. Because I think we need to know about the culture we're going out in and witnessing to. In our current culture, it both fascinates me and uh, frightens me right now at the same time. There are two sources where I love to go to, to, to try to understand what's going on in our country. Those sources are Barna Group and the Pew, P-E-W, Research Center. Over the years, Barna Group has carefully and strategically tracked the faith of America. And it's developed one of the largest uh, databases of spiritual indicators of where we are in this country. Pew is a little bit different. It's nonpartisan. It's a fact tank. And it informs the public about current issues, attitudes, and trends that are shaping the world today. Both of these, both of these constantly are conducting opinion polls from the public. They're doing demographic research content analysis, and they're driven by uh, 
social science research. In November of 21, last year, Pew did this study, and this study asked these two questions. Where do you find your meaning in life? And what keeps you going? I ask you that at the beginning. So here's their findings. In the United States, 49% of those polls said that they find their meaning in their family. 20% said they find their meaning in their friends. There's nothing wrong with that. We love our family and friends. But this is the, the kicker. When you go down and click on faith, it's only 15%. Church, 15% of our culture thinks about their faith or cares about it. There's nothing wrong with family and friends, but we've got this out of order. C.S. Lewis said this, Aim for heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim for earth and you're going to get neither. See, church, we are aiming at the wrong things. New heaven, new earth is our hope. It's a universe of perfected joy, perfect happiness, perfect love. It's a world where we experience the ultimate home and the ultimate relationship that we have longed for, for years, with each other. Think of it. What makes our homes so desirable? Is it comfort? Is it acceptance? Is it refreshment? Rest? Being with those we love? Protection from everything that poses even a threat to those, those things? But see, what we're longing for, that's the biblical picture of the new heaven and new earth. That's what we're going to get. We're not going to get that here. But in that new heaven and new earth, all suffering, rejection, exploitation, loneliness, it's all dealt with, it's removed. Everything sad becomes happy. All those relationships we long for, uh, for family and friends, those that have passed on that are in Jesus, we're going to be with them again, whole and restored. They're there. But you got to know Jesus. And see, that's why we're left on this earth for however much longer that all of us have. Our mission is to bring this hope to that world out there. Because they don't know him. Church, we've got to give people this hope. See, then everything that happened in Genesis 3 is totally undone. The garbage is dealt with. The glory is recreated. See, this earth isn't just written off and replaced. It is purged and it is recreated, renewed, refreshed with something different. It's healed, filled with people who are renewed, healed, and restored. A new creation filled with new creations. And it's just as real and physical as what we're in right now and experiencing. But with no more pain, no more crying, no more cruelty, no more injustice in the world, no more disease, no more loneliness, no more hospitals, no more funerals, praise God. 
It's this new creation that takes all that is beautiful and joyful in our present life and magnifies it to an infinite and eternal degree. We cannot imagine what we're in store for. It's like a, it's a, like a favorite book you read and ch- page by page, chapter by chapter, we're going to be so engrossed in it. Better than the one before. See, heaven, new heaven, new earth is just not home. It's what we long for all of our lives. It's the relationships we've longed for too. As, the, as a praise band is going to come up, here's my challenge. We've got a world of brokenness out there that don't know Jesus. And souls matter. They've got to matter to us. You've got every person in here, every person listening online has some person, people, group that is placed in your life and they don't know Jesus. And it's up to us to show him to them. And if we don't, look at their ending. It's got to matter. So my challenge to you is as we go out of here today and we go into this world, we go into the lives of those people around us that do not know this Christ that saves us and renews us. Let's get to work. We got a lot to do. Too much is at stake. Let's pray. Father God, you are great. You're sovereign. You came with the purpose, the plan. You declared it from the the end, from the beginning. You have written our name in the book of life. And there are so many people that we even know personally that aren't there. Give us courage, give us strength, give us boldness, give us grace to move beyond these walls to preach this good news This hope, this hope we have of a new heaven, new earth with all of us together, totally whole. Give us that wisdom, discernment, push us forward. It's too important. Thank you for what you did for us, each of us on the cross. We will never be able to repay that debt, but we will bow at your feet and give you praise and glory. So, Jesus, we pray these things in your name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.